Welcome to Through the Pines, a financial planning podcast with a down-to-earth vibe Sasquatch would listen to while churning butter. That's sort of an inside joke. Ask me about that one later. This is Through the Pines. On this episode, we break down, and I'm stoked about this one. I want to know opinions. Uh, We have some financial planners on here. How to build an investment portfolio. What's the best way to build your investment portfolio? So our financial wizards this week, back again, sharing the love. Rex Baxter, Brandon Smith, Dan Nelson. Uh, yeah. Oh, are we done? This is good, right? I saw that. Yeah. Uh, push the ceiling up a little bit. Um, so, all right. All right. So I can jump on Instagram and I can see graphs and all these different um, suggestions on how to build an investment portfolio. And they're all, they're all correct. They're all the right way to do it. And if I don't do it that way, then I screwed up because I didn't do it the other person's way. And it's very confusing. So, and they get, they have everything from real estate to crypto, to mutual funds, to this certain stock. And then this certain amount you've got to spend in cash and all this stuff. So I'm very confused and I don't know where to begin, but I think I know one thing before we get started that if you don't start, then you don't have to worry about this at all. Right. So you got to start somewhere. True. Yeah. <laughs> Before you can even worry about building an investment portfolio, you've got to make the decision to just start putting money away. And the earlier you do that, the better off you will be. So uh, Rex, when someone comes to you and says, I've got this amount of money, I'm about to hear that. Listen, I'm about to hear that it depends. Um, <laughs> but, and you're and you're talking to them and it's like, we're going to, we're going to build you an investment portfolio. Where do you start? Well, Brandon, first, thanks for having us on your show. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but it really depends. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, couldn't, I, yeah. just couldn't, I just couldn't stop. I know, I know. Yeah. So, you know, you start um, when you're building a, a – there, there's a lot of boxes that need to be checked before you start building your investment portfolio. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I'm just going to digress here for a second, but we typically start with financial planning. We typically make sure that – all of your other ducks are in a row that we have the, the proper emergency fund, things like By that. By ducks in a row, you mean um, like insurance and things like that? That's not. Yeah, cash. yeah, because there's things that, that lots of times take a little more of a priority over over the investment portfolio. And so, you know, we just kind of make sure everything's in line first. But, but once we get to the investment portfolio, <clears throat> then, you know, then we, we first want to figure out two things. Um, we want to figure out how aggressive or conservative you are, and we want to figure out how aggressive or conservative your plan needs to be to work. And Based so age too, right? So everything's in, encompassed in that, right? Age, spending, earning, all, all of those things, both now and projected into the future are taken in, into that consideration because we have to figure out, you know, kind of a target rate of return that we need to be able to achieve over your lifetime in order for you to to live the way that that you want to be able to live. And so those things are not always congruent. Those things do not always go hand man there's a math term from 7th grade. Congruent. So <laughs> yeah. So well, those things don't always go hand in hand, right? You sometimes you are extremely a client may be extremely conservative and yet because they're starting later in life on their savings and investing their plan may, in order for it to work the way that they want it to work, may need to be extremely aggressive. 
And so, you know, we need to find kind of a middle point as to how aggressive or conservative do we need to be. And then we start putting together the actual portfolio. Okay. And a portfolio is suggests by its definition, um, not just a stock, but a group of different assets that grow over time, I'm assuming. Yeah. So, so a portfolio is, a, is a, you know, a group of, of investments, right? It can be a group of stocks, group of mutual funds. I mean, out there in the world today, there are roughly 7,600 mutual funds, 2,400 exchange traded funds, 4,000 publicly traded companies in the United States, you know, 100,000 roughly internationally publicly traded companies on those individual international exchanges. I mean, so you have a lot of choices out there. Yeah. And, and so when you're building a portfolio, it is a basket of very diversified investments that hopefully don't all act the same at the same time. I just I just got an alert on my phone a minute ago that Rose is now on Coinbase. So see, it constantly changes every constantly. every ten minutes. Brandon, what was your comment? What's Rose? I don't even know. What I don't Rose know, is. but it's it's another crypto, one of the million you can buy. <laughs> so going along with that. One thing that is is kind of fun to, as a financial advisor, when we talk to people, people's perception of risk is all over the place. I mean, I, you know, when we say high risk or aggressive, oftentimes like our aggressive portfolio is, is aggressive, right? And it's going to grow and it's going to go up and down with the market, but it's nowhere near as aggressive as, as some of these, I mean, cryptos and, and, or someone that wants to go out and buy one individual stock or two individual stocks, right? Or they're, they're, they're speculating on, you know, options trading. I mean, there's, there's some real high risk stuff where you can legitimately lose your entire portfolio in the period of a day, you know, that, that you can literally see swings like that. When we talk aggressive portfolio, we're talking very, very well diversified to the tune of, I, I was just looking at one of our, one of our portfolios and it had over 6,000 individual stock holdings in it. Right. And so, so we're very, very diversified that, that creates a portfolio that is a lot more predictable than, than, you know, a single stock asset or an options contract or, or, or other speculative investments. Um, and, and it also provides us a portfolio that we can have more confidence in when times get rough. And I think that's one of the main, most important parts of your portfolio is anybody can be invested in a portfolio during the good times, right? When, when, when markets are going up, no matter what you're invested in, you know, when things are going up, people feel good about it, right? And they're like, I knew it. I knew that was going to do well. That's why I put my money there and, 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 and everyone's happy. But, but the more, the, the trouble that we watch people get in is when the markets go south, when the unpredictable happens, when a foreign dictator does something unpredictable, um, when, when well, domestic markets today, do something. Today, we're recording this, what's say the 26th of April. And so today the Dow is down 2.3%, 2, 2 down 800. S&P is down 2.8%. NASDAQ is down almost 4%. Gold's up uh, 15 or 0.15 and oil's up 0.68. So it's volatile, but you can't win all, all the time. No, you can't. But, but it's important that you have a portfolio 
that when you have days like today that have gone down, that we are confident that we are holding quality enough companies, right? That they're gonna that they're gonna bounce, right? That 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 there is something behind what we own. We've got we've got thousands of companies that each have their own business model. Home Depot is buying two by fours for a dollar, selling them for two. Not anymore. Actually, buying them for six dollars, selling them for eight dollars. Right? We we've got we've got Apple that that's innovating and making iPhones. We've got um, car companies that are making cars, and and those. Behind those business models, you have revenue, which is essentially we're buying golden geese, right? We, we are collectors of golden geese in all sorts of different baskets. And if we can build a portfolio of all these good business models that generate revenue over time, you, you have to ask yourself, well, well, what's worst case scenario, right? What, what happens? Could that portfolio ever just drop and go to zero? The answer is yes, right? Anything can happen. But what does that world look like? Right. That's a world where Walmart is closing its doors and saying we can't we can't sell stuff. That's a, a world where Amazon stops delivering packages. And that's a crazy thought. Right. That, that's a world where all of these major companies can't function. And, and of course, anything's possible. But as long as our society is, is, is functioning in some semblance of, of how it is today, you have revenues that back the portfolios. And that's what we can really bank on when times like today, when they get rough, when you see markets drop 2% and you say, holy cow, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? Spoiler alert, nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> but we true. do know long, long yeah. term that we're holding these companies that have profits, that have business models, and, and we can feel really comfortable in holding these companies through the dips. If you don't have a business model or if you only have one company, it makes it really hard to go through a dip, right? Because you look at a company like maybe something's changed. Maybe the CEO is crazy. Maybe, you know, this whole industry is going to, you know, whatever he's going to clap. But as long as we're diversified, it makes it really easy to get through the hard times. Well, and the hard times would be, um, you know, like, I don't know if Ukraine had a market or if it's open, but Russia closed their market for a while before they reopened. But that's called a war. There are other things to that most people are concerned about during those times. Uh, Dan, do you have a comment? Yeah, I, I was thinking about the times over the years that I've had people come up to me and say things like, I lost all my money in the stock market. And I've looked at them and I thought to myself, and sometimes out loud to them, <laughs> explain to me how you lost all your money in the stock market. Because, because if you have a diversified portfolio of good quality companies, you literally can't lose all your money in the stock market. And so, Usually what that is, is that somebody is invested in a penny stock or a low price stock, or they put way too much money in it, uh, more money than they could afford to, to lose. It wasn't diversified. It was in one particular company and that company did not do well and went out of business. That's what people say when they say, I've lost all my money in the stock market. In a good diversified portfolio over the years, uh, you, you, you have the ability to earn and make um, a lot of money. That's how most, uh, most high net worth individuals built their wealth is by having equity in either a business, their own business, or owned a lot of equities in a lot of companies or other, other businesses. So uh, that's why it's so important to have good diversification and to have some help to put together that portfolio. Yeah. Rex, um, is there, 
So there's a diversity in stocks. Um, but what are, what's like the, the first vehicles that you typically advise someone jump into that holds those stocks? So that's, that's a good question. And so let me, let me get to that. There's, there's two, two sayings that you'll hear me say frequently as, as I meet with different clients. Um, the first is that concentration is the number one builder of wealth and concentration is the number one destroyer of wealth. If you think about everybody that you know, the wealthiest people that you know, they typically became wealthy because they owned a lot of real estate or they owned their business and their business took off and, and was did phenomenally well or they had a small basket of, of stocks of, of concentrated positions and they did very, very well. And so typically that's the number one creator of wealth is, is those things. But then the number one destroyer of wealth, when you look at the biggest people and how they've fallen, it's, it's also because they've had that concentration, right? To where, you know, they're invested in an Enron and all their company stock is, or all their 401k is in the Enron stock and it goes bankrupt, you know, and there's, there's, you know, company after company example that we can use for that, or they're, they're, in real estate and and all of a sudden the real estate market just crashes on them and and they end up losing because they're all in one building that happened to to go down on them or their business you know shuttered because amazon opened up and and next door with a warehouse and and delivered to all their customers something and so you you do want to be careful about the stages in life as to when you have concentration versus when you you don't want to be diversified and and we're typically in the diversification camp right most of our clients we want globally diversified portfolios is what we want our clients to have because this is their serious money this is the money that they're relying on to get through retirement that they're relying on for their family's legacy and and so this is their serious money that typically we're dealing with so the, the question you asked is, is where do you start? What do most people start with? And so it, it depends on your sophistication and it depends on, you know, where you're at in life and the amount of money that you have. Lots of people will start with mutual funds. One of our earlier podcasts, to plug one of our earlier podcasts, is mastering your assets, right? And we talked about what is a mutual fund and how does it work? And, and you know, is a mutual fund all in the stock market? And the answer is maybe, right? Or it depends. Um, depends on the mutual fund that you buy. But most of the time we use mutual funds because you can get so much diversification. And and sometimes that gets confused, right? There's there's lots of times there's a popular radio host out there um, that says, you know, buy, buy four good growth mutual funds. And, you know, a, a, a growth fund, a growth and income fund, uh, this, that, and the other. And when you dig into the mutual funds, they all own the exact same stocks inside of them. And so you're truly not diversified. Just different percentages of those stocks? Sometimes different percentages, sometimes really similar percentages. When you look at the top 10 holdings, lots of times those top 10 are the exact same holdings. Mm. You might have, you know, instead of one company being a ABC being in the number one position, maybe it's in the number three position, mm -hmm. right? And so you have to be careful of that. You have to know what you own if you're going to do this on your, you know, on, wow, that's a lot of own. On your own. You have to know what you own if you do it on your own. <laughs> so, Write that one down. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. 
So, but, but lots of times that's where you start. And then as you can diversify more then sometimes we get into individual stocks or sometimes we get into other kinds of investments that are a, a little more unique, whether it be unit investment trusts or whether it be structured notes or private equity or hedge funds or, you know, more, more complex products that are out there, depending upon your sophistication level and your net worth. Certain products are only open and available to higher net worth individuals. And that's the way our regulators make it. So and Rex, so, do you suggest if someone's sophisticated, um, going into like, you should have a percentage in the market, a percentage in real estate, a percentage in this, a percentage in that. Like, do you, do you figure that out with the client? How, how does that um, work? To, to some extent, I, I think it's good to be balanced between, you know, the, the wealthiest people that I know that, own all three, right? They own their own business, they own real estate, and they own uh, financial assets, uh, investments, right? And and so those are typically the the wealthiest people that, that we work with have done all three of those over their lifetime. Do we necessarily set a, you know, we really want this? No, no, we don't necessarily set a percentage, but we do want to make sure that they're allocated so that we always have access to investments and to funds when we need funds. We don't want to be tied up in a bunch of illiquid businesses and in and real estate at a time when the market's down and then be forced to sell assets when they're when they're in a negative position, um, if we can help it. And, okay, so, and so we do want to be diversified that way. Are there any fun sayings or any uh, acronyms or anything so that apply to diversification in the industry? In other words, like if you're over 80% invested in this, then, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, are there, is there anything like guidelines or rules or something that maybe you've heard in the past that helps with being diversified when, when building a portfolio? Well, let me plug a previous podcast really quick. So <laughs> yeah, the previous yeah. podcast, we had a rule of thumb podcast, if I remember right. Yeah, thumbs. There you go. <laughs> and and one of the rules of thumb, which I don't necessarily agree with, is you know you take your age, and you subtract it from a hundred, and that's the amount of money that that you should have invested in the equity markets in the stock market. So if you're if you're 30, you subtract 30 from 100. That means you should have 70% invested in the equity market. If you're 70, you subtract 70 from 100. That'd mean you'd have 30% invested in the equity market. Okay, well, that's kind of fun. I mean, it gives you an idea. Right. So, so that might give you a discussion point, mm -hmm. right? And but, but at the end of the day, is that really going to help you achieve your goals? I have no idea, right? Without running through the financial plan and, and figuring it out. So, Dan, over your you know, 40 year career, have you, have you had other rules of thumbs or other acronyms? It's interesting you say that uh, Rex, because 35 years ago, uh, that was a little more uh, accurate probably than it is today. Today, if I think about my age is 65, uh, I, I want a lot more than 35% of my assets in a diversified portfolio of equities, you know, but if my life expectancy was 72 instead of 85 or 86, uh, then you might want to pare that down a little bit. And that's what it was 35 or, or 40 years ago. And so uh, there, over the years, there has been a lot of, of rules of thumb, things that people have used, but uh, it, it really comes down to how aggressive you want to be and how conservative you want to be and how you consider or, or, or what you 
consider aggressive is like Brandon said earlier, I think is all over the place. Uh, people are that might say, well, I'm real aggressive, but that might mean that they want to have uh, 10,000 of their hundred thousand dollars in the stock market. And so you have to really define what aggressive is. That's ultimately really conservative, you know, so, uh, but there has been rules of thumb over the years, but, but the, the key is that you have a financial advisor that you're working with to sit down and work through this equation with you to come up with your investment objectives and, and, and where you should be on the risk tolerance level. This is Through the Pines Financial Podcast. Speaking of how to build an investment portfolio, Brandon, when you are talking to clients, how do you assess risk, 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 risk tolerances? The K wasn't coming in there in the end for some reason. Yeah. How do you assess risk tolerances and what the client can handle? And do you push that in any direction either way? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. Um, the, 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 in my, my mind, there's really two, really two risk tolerances that should be considered in any individual's circumstance. The first is, is, is your financial planning risk. How much risk can your financial plan handle and, or how much risk does it need to take, right? In order to meet your objectives. And then the other question is how much risk can you emotionally handle? And, and then the answer ultimately comes down to which is the weakest link, right? What, what is the weaker of the two? Because we really can't take, we don't want to take more risk, A, than your plan can handle, because that, that's just setting you up for, for failure, right? If we, if we dump a portfolio, sure, we want to jump for those higher returns. <clears throat> and we put you so aggressive that a 2008 scenario would completely you know, decimate your portfolio. And now we're running out of money. I mean, that nobody wants to be in that boat. Um, the other, the other one is, is that emotional, like I said, right. And, and, and if we put you, if we say, Hey, your plan, we need to shoot for these higher rates of return. Your plan can handle it. Are you on board? And you're like, no, right. The worst thing we could do is put you in a portfolio that is too aggressive for your personal comfort zone and, and, and have you, you know, be invested and then all of a sudden see, see some sort of bad, you know, markets and, and have you panic at the bottom and sell out because that is, that is where the worst mistakes are made is when, when markets are in turmoil, people get, you know, I've, I've received the calls, like it's different this time, right? It's always come back, but not this time. Like something's changed politically, something's changed, you know, whatever it is. And, and, and people worry about that and they sell out at the bottom. And so it's our job to really try and, try and vet that out as much as possible and say, you know, this is what this might look like, right? You're, if we went through a major markets, you know, cycle, you might lose this much money or, or, or how does that make you feel, right? Are, are you fully on board to go through this kind of emotional uh, turmoil? And, and if you are emotionally and your plan can handle it, then, then I, you're in a great place, right? And we can move forward with confidence. Um, if, if we're skeptical, we typically like to side on, on the side of caution, right. And, and maybe step in a little bit more conservatively and then move that up if we can, as, as, as situations allow. Yeah. Rex thoughts. Yeah. You know, when I was early in my career, um, still had hair, 
then <laughs> hey, you did <laughs> i know that was a long time ago dan's crushing you in the hair department just so you know he really is dan, yeah. dan dan has great hair actually um so when when i was early in my career i was working with a younger client um you know early 30s and he had inherited some money um a fair you know a couple hundred thousand dollars uh, roughly so so about 300 and and during our discussion, trying to figure out his risk tolerance and how aggressive he was, I, I went through a, an example with him. And, you know, because this is the first time he's ever had money, right? I mean, he'd had about $5,000 saved up and, and had that in his 401k. And he's like, I am super aggressive, right? I'm young. I'm comfortable with risk. I, I don't mind the markets. And I want to be super aggressive. And, and, and so by young, was he like 20s, early 30s? Uh, so early 30s. Okay. Early thirties is what he was at. And, and so we were, we were talking and, and looked at his 401k plan with that $5,000. And i said, yeah, you are, you know, you're pretty aggressive in this $5,000. And I said, so, so, you know, if the market goes down 10%, you're pretty comfortable that he goes, absolutely. No, no, no sweat, you know, 20%. Sure. You know, I'll just ride through it. No problem. 30%. Yeah. He starts to, to kind of hedge a little bit, 40%. Yeah. I'm not sure. You know, I, I probably would be okay. I wouldn't be losing sleep yet, but I'd start to question if I'm on the right path. And, and you kind of go down that discussion 50% and, and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm probably done at, at 50%. And, and so it's like, okay, well, that's, that's still pretty aggressive. And I said, let's, let's put that into dollars on your $5,000. And so, you know, if your $5,000 goes down to, to $4,000, how comfortable are you? He goes, oh, that's fine. That's no problem. You know, if it goes down to, to $3,000, yeah, I'll just turn it back. Goes down to 2000 yeah, that kind of bugged me um, a little bit, but I'd be okay. Goes down to $1,000, mm, yeah, I'd start to question. I'm like, well, you know, 5000 to 1000 that's an 80% drop, right? That's that's a big drop. And I said, but here you are, you, you just inherited 300000 you told me you're super aggressive. So you're still comfortable with that 20 30% drop? And, and he goes, oh, yeah, super aggressive, 20 30%, no big deal. And I said, well, let's let's put that into dollars for a minute. And so, if your three hundred thousand goes down to two hundred and seventy thousand, and you lose thirty thousand dollars, and he's like, "Ooh, that's that's pretty painful," you know, that thirty thousand dollars. And I said, "Okay, what if we what if we go down, you know, from three hundred down to to two hundred and forty thousand? He's like, that's more than I make in a year. Are you kidding me? I can't lose sixty thousand dollars, you know. And 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 jumps up out of his seat and you know is having a panic attack. And why would you put me in something like that? And I'm like, that's only twenty percent. We just had this discussion about bigger bigger numbers or bigger numbers. Yeah, that's interesting to think about it that way. It sounds okay on smaller numbers, but was the more you have, does your risk tolerance change? And, and that's a good question, right? Because it plays mental games with you a little bit as to, as to your tolerance for those declines. And yet it's the same risk, right? Whether it's on $5,000 or $300,000, but all of a sudden it's more dollars. And that, that really plays with you mentally. So it's, a, it's an interesting exercise for people to go through when you're figuring out your risk tolerance and, and what that really looks like. Well, I've had you, Rex, um, basically tell me what, what to do with my life and that's that's why i ended up here um so, uh, start right. podcasts <laughs> um essentially 
in, if you're going to, this is advice kids and you don't have to listen to this at all, but if you're going to invest in the crypto side of things, it's essentially do it with money that you can afford to lose. In, in other words, it's, you're going to gamble with it or whatnot. It's, it's a smaller percent, but so I've got some money on that, but those swings are large. If you're not used to that, because there's a couple of them I thought, if I had more money in here, I would be panicking right now. But because it's like, you know, a few hundred bucks, thousand bucks, whatever, it's not, I'm not losing my mind. But, um, but, but if the numbers were bigger, I'd be thinking twice, like I could a lot, you know, because the percentages are bigger. And like you said, Rex, when the percentages, 20% on, uh, on a thousand is a lot different than 20% on, you know, a hundred thousand. So yeah, it changes. It changes quick. Brian, you have a comment? That's where the diversity plays in, though, right? It, it, I mean, if you if you bought one single individual stock and it dips, it might not be coming back. You know, there very well might be on its way out. Companies are born and companies die. But with when you're diversified, I mean, never say never. But really, when you're diversified and you own six thousand different quality companies, all with a good business model. I mean, what are the odds that those companies don't survive, right? Some of them, I'm sure, will go out of business. But when you're so well diversified, you can you can sleep at night. Even if even if you're that 30-year-old with $300,000, as long as it's long-term money, right? Because that is the ultimate question when building a portfolio. When are you going to need this money? When you ask yourself, what is risk in the stock market in a properly diversified portfolio? What you usually come down to, risk is the event that you might not be able to access this money for three, four, five, six years while the market's in the midst of a dip, right? And, and you sure you can access it, but you're going to access it at a loss. That is what risk is so, at, a, at a very high level. So really how to build an investment portfolio, you just have to, it, that suggests where I'm building it, but really I'm not, <laughs> you're building it. I don't, yeah. like, I, I don't know if I, I personally want to do it. I want, I would rather have a, a professional, uh, planwithbaxter.com for more information um build it out for me because you guys that's what you do for a living uh that so how much do you, do you guys personally play with and then how much should i maybe diversify like rex you said someone might own a business someone might own real estate you know where does that where do those lines cross over yeah, so, so as far as where the lines cross over, I think it comes down to, to your comfort level with different financial assets as far as where you start, right? I, I, for instance, am much more comfortable personally with financial instruments. I'm more comfortable with, with the financial markets, with stocks and bonds and cash and, and things along those nature than, than I am personally with real estate because I, I literally am all thumbs, right? I mean, I'm, I'm that guy that calls my neighbor to change a light bulb, right? I mean, I'm that guy. I'm with you. So I'm with you. I'm, I've seen yeah. Brandon Smith. He's a little more handy than us, but, you know. Yeah, Brandon's, you know, he'll change out a water heater and, and paint a room and, and do a few. And Dan, Dan's that way. Dan's handy, right? Yeah, and so yeah. I, I am not. And so I think it comes down to, you know, starting with investing with what you know and what you're comfortable with and then using professionals for those areas where you're uncomfortable, right? And so if you're uncomfortable with the financial markets and you're not educated in the financial markets and that's not an area that, that you're extremely strong in, then you should outsource it. You should hire professionals. If you know, you're know you not comfortable with real estate and you wanna be in real estate, then you probably wanna hire a property manager, 
and and use you know different professionals to help you buy and sell and and where you're going to be at and and if you want to own a business then then maybe you want to be a silent financial partner or maybe you want to be the the person in charge right kind of depends on when your comfort level and and where you're at so so i don't know that there's you know a straight answer for you but i think there's a roundabout answer for you there yeah so let's use a number because because that seems to help so uh, I'm doing okay. Let's say I've got a thousand dollars a month that I can invest. I'm going to put away to invest. I don't need to put it in savings because I have my safe, my emergency fund taken care of. So, of that thousand dollars cash, um, should I give um, like a company like Plan with Baxter the full thousand, or should I do like eight hundred bucks and then? And then take that other 200 and invest it in other things, uh, stock play on the side with some stock fund, stock money, pennies. You know what I mean? Like how it's always different, but uh, you know, how much should we divide that up? Yeah. So I think, I think it depends on, on how much there you go. It depends. Yeah. I think it depends on, on how much money you're dealing with. Right. I mean, a thousand dollars, right. Is, is tough and not that I'm belittling a thousand dollars, but if you're dealing with, you know, a, a hundred thousand or a million dollars or five million dollars or twelve million dollars or or some some amount then then lots of times as far as on your own if if it truly is a hobby and i'm all for for people using financial investments and different things for hobbies because it keeps you mentally active oh, you know we I just, a thousand you know, a month right a thousand a month yeah so twelve thousand a year yeah, right yeah. we're still yep. right yep. and so it's it's still relatively speaking a smaller amount in the scheme of things, if you're starting from zero. Yeah. And, and so if that's where you're starting, then, then you probably want to hand that off and just let somebody manage that. Right. Okay. Because your thousand a month can go to zero really, really quick. Okay. No, that's and, a good point. So what, what, so what's a better number? 10,000. So, so at some point you'll hit a level to where you, you know, our, our, our best clients lots of times will take five or 10% and kind of play with it on their own mm-hmm. and keep a smaller percentage to kind of kind of play with and invest and and kind of follow their own their own hobbies and passions but they're serious money um they certainly outsource to us and let us manage yeah that um, makes sense sure. and so okay I, I i had another thought that while brandon was talking just really quick and i'll i'll bounce you know this off dan a little bit because he's seen some of these psychological games that people play but when you're investing another interesting thing just like dealing with percentages and dollars for on your risk tolerance is is the the reality that inside of a mutual fund not all the stocks go up at the same time a mutual fund hides that right and so if you have an index fund like the s p 500 index fund or you have a, a regular mutual fund abc mutual fund and and you made 20 percent last year hidden inside of that mutual fund are probably a number of companies that were down 20 percent or 15 percent, but you don't see it because it, you're so diversified because you have a hundred stocks or 300 stocks inside of that mutual fund and you're just seeing the net return. Whereas when you start managing individual stock portfolios, which we do quite frequently, you know, all of a sudden we unwrapped the present, right? And we, we pulled back the covers and now you see that, you know, ABC stock is up, you know, 78% and XYZ stock is down 43%. And some people struggle with that psychology of seeing that some stocks are underperforming in their in their account and they're like, well, why do you own that? Well, because I can't predict the future. 
is why I own that, right? Yeah. And and we buy things that sometimes long term will do great, and they may struggle for a cycle. They may struggle struggle for a couple of years or for you know a period of time. And through rebalancing, we're selling things that are that made a lot of money, and we're buying things that have lost money, and that forces you to you know to sell high and to buy low, which we all know is what we should be doing. And yet it's one of the most difficult things in the world to pull off because the the hardest thing you want to to do is to sit there and say, man, this thing just got cut in half. Now it's on sale. Boy, now's the time to buy. And, and it just, you know, that's hard to have the fortitude to do that. Yeah. So, so you Dan, say, your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. Yeah. And Dan, um, let me know this too. Like you can't predict the future, but can you predict trends and and how active are you in managing accounts with longer term trends i think with a longer term trend you're a lot more accurate than you are based on what's the market going to be doing tomorrow or two weeks from now uh, you can you can be a lot more accurate if you say well historically when we see this kind of a downturn it takes six months to, to recover. It takes two years to recover. It takes four years to recover, whatever it might be. What's interesting about what Rex was just talking about is that recently, in the last year or so, um, I've been covered with a lot of clients and, and, and friends, people that I've talked to recently, uh, where they'll say to me, um, you know what, I've just put the last 10 years or so, I've just put my money in a index fund. And it's interesting to drill into that and I'll have that conversation. Well, you know what, uh, the last 10 years, you really, and we, we say this in, 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 in kind of jest, but you could really throw a dart at a dartboard and just about everything was making money over the last 10 years. Yeah. It was a raging bull market. You've got to be a lot more careful, I think, in the next 10 years than you have been in the last 10 years to be able to do, uh, to pick a good, quality portfolio and have yourself properly diversified uh, versus just an index fund that could be uh, uh, capital weighted or it could be uh, uh, done uh, managed differently uh, uh, based on what the manager's doing or if that's just a, a pure index fund. Uh, you could have made most of your return on five or six of the 500 stocks in that particular fund or that particular index. And so it's real important that going forward, I think you need to you need to have a good quality portfolio where it's constantly being reviewed and uh, you are rebalancing on a regular basis. Yeah, maybe this next 10 years, the money managers will earn their money. Good point. Good point. <laughs> uh, Brandon, you, you, have, uh, <laughs> you have some more numbers for us on this podcast. Yeah, you got it. All right. So this is this is from the Department of Labor, um, and and kind of a hot topic in in some circles. A topic that everyone kind of jumps to assumptions on that they think they know the answer to, and I, I'm not so sure. Oh, I know. I know this one. I know this one. Okay, <laughs> good, good. I'll hold you to it. An estimated 3.4 million American workers dropped out of the U.S. labor force since early 2020 with obviously COVID and everything like that. That's the difference between 167.8 million that we anticipate would have been in the market versus you know the 164.4 million workers 
that were there in March of 2022. And so, I mean, that's 3.4 million workers. You, you, you think about that, you look at the population, 350 million, give or take. I mean, that's, that's a fairly significant amount. Right. So and 3.4 million, million less people are working uh, in 2022 than in 2020. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or that many dropped out. Yeah. So for those math nerds, that's about 65,000 per state, give or take. So that's, you know, about three quarters of Ogden. Brandon's been some town there. Yeah, it depends uh, on the state you're in. I mean, if it, I mean, because some states have seen a boon maybe and others have, have seen a wane. And so depending on where you live, it could, it could be worse. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that, that's you know, an interesting I, number though. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I tell people, and this is my theory, right? This is my theory that I'm not sure that I know that I know what I'm talking about either on this one. But but I, I think pre-pandemic, I mean, every time that the labor force statistics were reported, it was record low unemployment. Yeah. And what did we do? All of us were just applauding this. Like, yes, low. Because, I mean, our whole lives, right? The lower the unemployment, the better and and it went on and on and then we went into this like dark phase of covid where where all those numbers just got skewed everything went dark and and i mean we were kind of already on our our way in this trajectory of not having enough workers mm-hmm. and, and i think covid kind of catalyzed that a little bit right made some people uncomfortable working um had other people kind of get used to not working said hey we're going to pull this off and, and just retire um, but, but I, I think we were already kind of on a track record to these labor shortages that we're seeing, man, that, that's a hard, that's a hard solution, right? How do you, how do you just inject workers into an economy? <laughs> really the only way I, I can think of is other than incentivizing workers to come back is, is some type of immigration, right? And, and, and bringing more workers in from other countries, um, and, and obviously that there's a lot of, you know, political stuff around that, but, but, but I think that it is, it's an interesting dilemma we're in where, you know, for one of the first times in my life that, that you see here economists saying, Hey, we're limited in how much we can grow economically because we just simply don't have the workers to do it. That's wild. That's wild. Uh, Rex, um, what's the average return of the S and P since, the 60s since time um you know a lot of people use the average of of 10 to 12 percent right is is typically what you're going to hear people say and and that is a good solid long-term average for the s p 500 okay so my follow-up question is how in the hell does berkshire average 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 20 for that long for since the 60s what's he doing so he had a more concentrated portfolio, right? And so he he bought good solid companies at the right prices, and he bought you know and 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 he didn't hold on to everything forever. I, although everybody likes to believe he did, right? He doesn't hold on to everything forever, but he does hold on to good, strong, solid companies for a long period of time, and he doesn't panic when things are down, and he takes advantage of down markets, and and actually puts more money to work when things are beat up the most. If you remember back in 2008, I mean, he was he was as active as the, as the government in bailing out companies mm. and, and putting money to work in the bottom of the Great Recession. 
And, and that's exactly what, what Warren and Charlie Munger are, are infamous for is, is, you know, being greedy when everybody else is fearful and, and being fearful when everybody else is greedy and people, you know, the human nature is people in general want to buy at market tops. They want to buy when everything is warm and fuzzy, everything feels good. And they're sorry to all the grandmas in the world. And when their grandma is an investing genius, right? When she goes and picks a stock that that goes up by 40%. And and that's when most people want to buy. And most people want to sell when they've had the worst month, like the current month since 2008, since October 2008, this April. And we'll see how it finishes up here the last couple of days. But at the moment, it's the worst month we've had in 14 years. Um, you know, and, and so it's kind of interesting. Dan, Dan has seen this over and over and over during his career, I would imagine. So, so if your only holdings are, um, Berkshire Hathaway, is that diversified? So in, in my opinion, I would say it's a diversified portfolio, but most of his companies are large companies, right? They're behemoths. Um, because you know, he's buying the, the, you know, GEs of the world, the Coca-Cola's, the, the big oil companies, the big steel companies, the big RC uh, insurance companies, um, RC Willie was an anomaly for him actually. And it was because he wanted to wrap it in with his other, his other kind of textile companies that sell, you know, furniture and appliances and things like that, which he has a nice little portfolio of. And, and so that was a little bit of a smaller company and purchase for him back when he did that. And, and so it, it's kind of interesting, but there's a lot of areas of the market when we're building diversified portfolios, it, you know, Brian, I could go on for this for, and, I, and I'm going to finish that thought, but you've wanted us to do a podcast on building portfolios since we started these podcasts. <laughs> and, and I kept kind of putting it off because we're all so passionate about it that I honestly could talk for hours and hours and days and days yeah. about building Is this portfolios. part one of 73? Is that <laughs> it could be. Well, so, do you, do you, you don't, do you build them, build them? You don't build, do you build portfolios as a yes. living? Like, is that what you do? Okay. We build this. So, so I'm an accredited portfolio manager advisor, yeah. right? Meaning that I, I'm authorized to manage money and, and manage portfolios and I can take discretion with those portfolios, assuming that the clients authorize that, right? To, to do the buying and selling within their risk level. Yeah. And and so we do that with with a lot of our portfolios. But the, the question um, with Berkshire was essentially like, if you own one mutual fund, are you di- are you diversified? And the answer is no, right? No. That yeah. And and so you know we have large cap growth we have large cap value we have mid caps mid-sized companies small size companies we have international companies we have international large companies international small companies you have you know italian companies russian companies canadian companies you have you know all these different kinds of companies out there and so if you own one mutual fund typically their mandate is to invest in one way and so even even if you say why well, only s p 500 i own 500 companies like dan was alluding to before well, most people aren't aware that the S&P 500 is what we call a capital-weighted index. And, and what that means is that the larger the individual company, then the bigger the weighting that company has in that index. And so for 2021, right, then, then roughly the top 10 companies 
carried more weight than the other 490 companies in the S&P 500. That's how much bigger they are and how narrow that return is. Meaning that if those 10 companies did well, the S&P 500 is going to do well. And if those 10 companies do poorly, the S&P 500 index is going to do poorly. And the more narrow that becomes, the riskier that fund becomes. And, and because if you're not diversified in other asset classes, then, then you are taking more and more risk. And you don't realize how concentrated your portfolio just became over the last decade as that index became more and more narrow. And so it's important to continue to analyze your portfolios, analyze what you own, and make sure that you're extremely diversified. So thoughts on yeah. that, Dan? I saw, you, I saw you try and jump in there for a second. I think totally agree with what you just said. Totally agree with what you just said. I own some Berkshire in my own portfolio, but it's just one position of many, many, many positions. So, uh, Okay, so this is... Disclaimer okay. really quick. We're not recommending or suggesting against Berkshire Hathaway. No. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not either. I don't even know. I just saw, I, I saw the stat that he had averaged 20% and they compared it to the S and P and I thought, well, he did something right over the years, you know? Um, so your portfolios individually, because you're, you're in the business, how different do you guys, do you guys compare to each other? How different are they? Because we're looking at different age ranges, different, uh, uh, segments of life that are the three of you are in right now. Dan's nearing retirement. Brandon has a young family. Rex has uh, 9 million kids. Uh, some of them have even moved out by now. So like, no, they haven't. (laughs) 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 Okay. This is news to me. Uh, yeah. How, how, how different are your portfolios? Cause you all work for the same company. You know what I mean? Brandon, you want to start with that? Yeah, I, so I love that my personal portfolios, and I tell clients this all the time, my personal portfolios are invested the same way I invest other aggressive clients like me, right? If you're, and 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 what's cool is, as Rex mentioned earlier, we can take discretion on a lot of these and, and if, if the client allows us. And so literally when we go and make an adjustment in, in the portfolios, it's making an adjustment in my portfolio in the client's portfolio all at the exact same time. And, and uh, I, I think that's important, right? That, that, and, and my, my portfolio is different than someone who's in their sixties or seventies and, and has less risk. Right. But, but if you're an aggressive investor, like I am personally, your portfolio is, is, and you're our client, right? Your portfolio is lined up just like mine is. I, I like that. It just feels right to me um, to kind of be along for the ride with everyone else, feeling the ups and the downs. And, and, and yeah, I, I, I like that part of it. Yeah. Rex. Yeah. I, I think that again, it comes down to if, if our portfolios are the same or different, it's going to come down to the same questions that we started this entire podcast with is, is how aggressive or conservative are you comfortable with? How aggressive and conservative do you need to be for your plan? And and I think that just because you're 60 versus 30, you may be in the exact same portfolio. <clears throat> you may be in very different portfolios. And but but the nice thing is is we we have portfolios that that will fit you know what you need as far as your risk level, and and it's our role to help you identify what that is. And, Rex, and then to help you manage it and see it through. What, when you go to start building, you're like, okay, I got I to build this portfolio. 
are, are there mutual funds, ETFs that you lean, like those are like the first three, four or five that you look at first, you know, sort of start there and then you, then you get niched down and you get a little different. No, for, for us, when we build portfolios, the first thing we look at is risk is we look at how aggressive uh, we want our aggressive portfolio to be and how conservative we want our conservative portfolio to be. So that's the first thing we're looking at is, is more measures like standard deviation and a more technical jargon, um, you know, that, that goes into those risk measures like upside capture ratio and downside capture ratio and, and, you know, anyhow, beta and, and all these fun, you know, Greek letters of, of the alphabet. And so, um, you know, that's the first place that we start. And then once we figure out how aggressive we want our aggressive portfolio to be, then we, we dig down into asset classes and we say, okay, based on, based on that, this is how much we want in large companies versus small companies versus, um, you know, growth companies versus value companies versus international companies versus bonds or fixed income. And so then we start with that. And then once we get done with that phase, then we start building into, okay, if we have X percent in, in large growth companies, then which investments do we want to use? Is, are there exchange trade funds we want to use? Are there index funds we want to use? Are there actively managed portfolios that we want to use um, for that sleeve of the portfolio? Are we using individual stocks um, for our large growth companies, right? What, what are we using for that? And so we build different portfolios for different people's risk tolerance. And, and we go through each one of those asset classes and we monitor it. We evaluate it regularly. We rebalance them regularly. And, and so, you know, we're very active in that space. Regularly is, is interesting to me. So you never step in the same river twice. In other words, you're, you change, you're constantly changing. So, um, you know, do you get calls in a month like April 2022 from people who over the last 10 years, their risk tolerance was one thing. And then uh, in the last 30 days, maybe their risk tolerance has changed. And now they all of a sudden they're like, you know what? Yeah, I'm a different person now than I was two years ago or one year ago. Or I'm a little more nervous now. How often does that happen? And how often should you shift and change your your portfolios once they're built? So, so here's the two stories on that is one, I had to call 30 minutes before the podcast. That's the quick and easy answer, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, does it happen? Absolutely. It happens. However, it doesn't happen with, with our clients nearly as frequently as you would think, because I feel like we are very, very strong in determining how aggressive or conservative clients should be. And, and getting that risk tolerance right on the front end saves the concerns and calls on the back end. Mm -hmm. as far as the panic button, because we, again, like Brandon said, and I can't remember what minute mark it was, maybe minute 10 or 12, whatever it was in there, um, you know, that we don't want to have a client calling us in, in a month like this and panic out and sell at the bottom, because that means that they are in a too aggressive a portfolio. And unfortunately, that's what we find a lot of clients in with their 401k plans. They don't realize how aggressive their portfolio has been because a bull market does that to you. If you're not rebalancing your portfolio regularly and stocks go up by 10% a year for, for eight years, even though you're adding to the portfolio, all of a sudden you just turned a moderate risk level portfolio into an aggressive portfolio just because of market growth. Hmm. And now all of a sudden, instead of taking a medium level of risk, 
you're taking a high level of risk. And then you get to an October of, or an, an April of, of 22 or an October of 87 or an October of 08 or any of those months. And all of a sudden their portfolio drops double or triple what their risk tolerance tells us that they're comfortable with. They panic out, they sell. And when you sell, that's when you lock in those losses. And then it's really, really hard to know when to get back into the market. You know, because then you have to get all these decisions right. You have to, you know, you just got out. You got out at the wrong time. Now you have to decide when to get in and what to get into and how aggressive or conservative you want to be when you get back in. Because now all of a sudden you're trying to catch a rising market and recovery and you're still burnt over the last one. And so you're nervous of it falling right back down and hitting a double bottom. And, and you just have all these mental and emotional games that are going on in your head that lots of times prevent you from making good rational decisions. I think, and I think so, yeah, yeah, I think you were um, just, just choking on something, but I was hoping you would start crying just to make it drive the point home. You know what I mean? That's it's <laughs> <laughs> boost our ratings. Yeah, yeah. The emotion yeah. In there. <laughs> but I get it. Brandon, uh, last word on how to build an investment portfolio, what we should know. No, I think that I think we've covered it so well. I, I, I think ultimately it comes down to right what, what Rex was saying. It, it comes down to understanding what is risk, understanding who you are and what your portfolio needs to do for you, understanding how that plays in with a, your long-term financial plan. And when we build that out and when the proper education happens and, and people understand the risk beforehand, they go into, you know, understanding that we've built out a plan that can handle the risk, that can go through these market fluctuations. It really does. It, it creates a much, a much more pleasant experience on those downturns, right? An experience that knowing, knowing that we have planned for it, knowing that we've we've thought about it, thought it through, we've put the plan into action, and now we're just writing, you know, writing it out. It really is a much less stressful. Um, environment than, than most people think. And I, I like to go back to this most recent COVID dip, right? It was so nice calling clients and saying, hey, don't worry, we've got, you know, five years worth of distribution saved up that as long as this works itself out in five years, we're going to be good, right? Or we've got eight years worth of, of money set aside in safer assets that hasn't taken quite the hit that the rest of the market has. And we can kind of live on that until, until this world sorts itself out. I mean, those are comforting conversations, right? And and then to back into that and know that the financial plan can support it as well, just just really makes the whole, the anxiety of, of investing really feel a lot better. Yeah. Uh, Dan, what do we miss? Anything? The key here is to uh, ask for help, get a professional, uh, get someone like Rex and, and Brandon and uh, that we can we can sit down with you and individually design a plan that works for you based on your investment objectives and your risk tolerance. That's the key. Yep, you heard it from the man right there, Dan. Uh, that is planwithbaxter.com there. So that's where you want to go to chat with Rex, Brandon, or Dan, planwithbaxter.com. They'll set you in the right direction. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Through the Pines reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams. <laughs>